Our Old Testament reading this morning is Jeremiah 31, 1 through 14. Jeremiah 31, verses 1 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. At the same time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when I went to give him rest, the Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. You shall again be adorned with your tambourines and shall go forth in the dances of those who rejoice. You shall yet plant vines in the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and eat them as ordinary food. For there shall be a day when the watchmen will cry on Mount Ephraim, Arise, and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the woman with child and the one who labors with child together. A great throng shall return there. They shall come with weeping and with supplications. I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord, for wheat and new wine and oil, for the young of the flock and the herd, their souls shall be like a well-watered garden. And they shall sorrow no more at all. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old together. For I will turn their mourning to joy, will comfort them, and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. I will satiate the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. Glorious promises there the Lord makes to his people, even as they face exile. And he's going to bring them back and bring them into his, uh, uh, bring them back to the promised land and bring them back into his blessing and and, uh, pour out his grace on them. And in particular, those words there that he is a father to them, which is a rare thing for him to say in the Old Testament. But let's turn to the New Testament now and see here, Matthew 6, 7 to 15, as our Lord speaks and teaches us about prayer and how to speak to our Heavenly Father. Matthew 6, verses 7 through 15. This is God's very word. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, speak now to us by your word. Reveal to us your glory and your goodness and your grace. Humble us before you and teach our hearts. And fill us with trust and confidence in you. This we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Last Lord's Day, we noticed how um, Jesus uses the word Father to refer to God more often in these three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount than the whole of the Old Testament put together. In these three chapters, in Matthew, Jesus calls God Father more than all 39 books of the Old Testament call Him Father. And this theme of, of, of Jesus talking about God as our Father is so dominant, in fact, in the Sermon on the Mount that sometimes as you read it, I think you can start to think, well, this is, this is the big theme of the sermon. This is what Jesus, this is, this is what he's really preaching about. It's an important theme. It's a central theme. But of course, we, we know that the, the sermon as a whole is about the kingdom of God. As we were preparing to, to move into Matthew 5, we saw in Matthew 4, 17, Jesus, is, his, his preaching is summarized as this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The whole sermon's about the kingdom of heaven. So is Jesus getting distracted and off course as he talks so much in the middle of the sermon about how God is our Father rather than our King? He's not off topic at all, of course. Right As he's preaching this sermon, he's preaching about the kingdom of God, but he's telling us something profound about that kingdom. To be in the kingdom is to be a son of the king. To, to be in the kingdom is not simply to be a citizen and a subject of the king and all the benefits that would bring, but it's actually to be a son of the king. To have God as your father. One of the great central benefits and blessings of being in the kingdom. The fundamental identity of those in the kingdom is not that they are subjects of the king, but that they are sons of the Father. We see this in the Old Testament. Here and there throughout the Old Testament, we see these places where God calls his people, his son, or his sons and daughters. Uh, we see this in Exodus uh, in Exodus 4.22. God sends Moses to Pharaoh and he says, You shall say to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. So God calls his people son in the Old Testament. And then he goes on in Exodus 19. He talks about how he is making them a kingdom. So these are his sons in his kingdom. And we also see it in Jeremiah, as we read earlier, verse 9. I'm a father to Israel. Ephraim is my firstborn in that same context, just in a, a chapter over, Jeremiah 30, he talks about how he's going to be their king and raise up a king for them and bring the kingdom about for them. So these two concepts are related together. God is our father, even as we're brought into the kingdom, and he is also our king. And Jesus is bringing this, bringing this to fulfillment, that God is our father. Loved ones. As we think about the kingdom of heaven uh, uh, throughout the book of Matthew, and particularly here in the Sermon on the Mount, we need to see this. 
just how central it is to Jesus that those in his kingdom understand that God is their father. How important it is that you and I understand God is our father, that he is a father who loves us and cares for us. We saw last week that if you don't understand God is your father, you're not going to fast and give and pray rightly. It's going to be all mixed up, all wrong. Your motivation will be all wrong because you don't understand he's your father. But in particular here, Jesus is talking about prayer. And his message to us is that if you don't understand that God is your heavenly father, then, then, then you'll never pray as you should. But if you don't understand you're a son of the Father in his kingdom, then your priorities in prayer won't be right. The things you're asking for won't be, won't be, won't be right. And your attitude towards God won't be right. right. In a sense, we don't need Jesus to teach us to pray. He says here in verse 7, don't pray like the Gentiles, right? Those who aren't believing in God as their Father do pray. They know how to pray, in a sense, to the wrong gods. Jesus is saying, you need to learn how to pray like a son. How to pray like a son. That's what he's teaching us in the Lord's Prayer. There are three things I want to draw out from the text here, from the Lord's Prayer this morning together. And uh, the first one is this, pray to your Father. This is verses, uh, verses 7 to 9. Jesus says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven. Jesus says, pray to your Father. Pray knowing that you're speaking to God as your Father. What does He mean here? What is He, what is he telling us to do? Well, he's saying, He says to us that our Father knows what we need before we ask Him. So when we pray, we're not trying to inform God. We're not telling him something he doesn't know. We're not trying to fill him in on a situation he hasn't caught up with. Uh, He knows what we need before we even ask him. But Jesus is uh, reminding us of more than that. He's teaching us more than that. He's also saying, God knows what you need. He, 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 right, parents are usually good at um, anticipating their children's needs. Right, kids, um, we're, we're sitting out at the dinner table and, and my kids are about to ask for a cup of water, but before they ask, mom's already up getting it for them. And sometimes dad is too, right? Uh, because we anticipate what our children need, what they're going to be needing soon. And so it is with our father. Before we even ask him, uh, he knows what we need. But he does it with perfect knowledge. Right? He, he knows without ever getting it wrong exactly what we need. He doesn't just anticipate it and and know what we need before we ask, but he's ready to give it. I think that's the sense of what Jesus is saying here, that he is abundantly gracious to us, that that he knows what we need, and as a father loves to give his children exactly what they need, so the Lord is ready to give his children exactly what they need. Loved ones, God as your Father is gracious towards you. He is not stingy towards you. And he's not tight-fisted with you. He is gracious, and he knows what you need, and he's ready to give it to you. He's ready to pour out his grace on you. He is your father. And he says, ask. I know what you need. I'm ready to give it. Sometimes we get suspicious, I think, of God. 
We can get an attitude towards God like that of the older brother in uh, the parable that Jesus tells in Luke 15. I'm sure you know that parable, the parable of the prodigal son, it's often called. But it's a parable about two sons, um, and, and one of them is the older brother. And the older brother, of course, is he's, he's the good brother. He's the one who does everything right, always is trying to, to do the right thing. Um, and, of course, the younger son goes off, uh, takes, takes his father's inheritance, his portion of it, goes off, lives a life of sin, eventually turns around, comes back and when he has nothing left, and, and the father welcomes him back home and throws a feast for him and welcomes him back as his son. But this older brother, who always did what was right, never ran off and, 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 and did all this sin and took his father's inheritance, but did the right thing every time, he won't come into the feast to welcome back his younger brother. Listen to what he says. He's standing outside. He's sulking. He's bitter. He won't go into the celebration his, his dad is throwing for his other brother. And his dad comes out to him and the, he says to him, These many years I slaved for you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. You see what the older brother's attitude is towards his father? What his uh, mentality is about his, his father? He says, all these years I have slaved for you. Right? He thinks his, his father is hard, is a hard man, is not going to be gracious, not going to be generous. That everything he gets, he has to earn from him. See, that he's severe. He never asks his father for anything because he's suspicious that his father is so severe and hard and not gracious and not generous. Right, he completely misunderstood his father. Sometimes we can get that understanding, right? We can misunderstand God, and we can become like that. Suspicious that he's holding something back from us that we'd be better off having. Doubting that he does indeed know what we need, and he's ready to give what we need, and that he's gracious to us. So, loved ones, when you pray, go to your father knowing how generous and gracious He is, that He knows your needs and He's ready to meet them. Right? He's given you Jesus Christ. He's not going to hold anything else back that you really, truly need for your good, for His glory. And He's not waiting for you to earn it. Right? He's not waiting for you to, to, to do this, that, and the other thing before you come to Him and ask. Right? You're already a son. Children don't earn their parents' love. Right? They simply are born into it. They simply receive it. They're adopted into it. And so our Lord lavishes His love on us because He loves us. This is the mindset we should have in our praying. We're praying to our Father. The next thing we see here is that we should pray for our Father's glorious kingdom. Verses 9 to 10. Pray for your Father's glorious kingdom. We're moving into the actual words of the Lord's Prayer now. Here in Jesus, He's taught us to address God as our Father, to think of Him as our Father in heaven. So both this great and glorious God in heaven and also the One who's intimately concerned with us and who loves us as our Father. And He then gives us three requests to pray for at the beginning of this prayer. He says, pray like this, Our Father in heaven. Number one, hallowed be your name. Number two, your kingdom come. Number three, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, a few minutes ago, we were saying Jesus' words to us that um, God is our Father. He knows our needs and He's ready to be gracious to us. 
Right? If that's a corrective for a, uh, a licentious view towards God, right? this view that, that, that um, I, mean, I mean, excuse me, a legalistic view of God, right? I've got to earn God's favor. I've got to, to do this and that and obey in all these ways in order to prove myself to him, and then maybe he'll, he'll give me something. Right? Jesus is saying, no, God is gracious and generous. He was correcting that. Now, now we see a corrective to this view of God that, well, he's, he's going to give me whatever I want. He's a genie in a bottle, right? He, he's, he's, he's Aladdin's genie. I just, I just say what I want. I rub, I rub the lamp and he comes out and he gives me whatever I ask for. All right, now Jesus is going to correct, correct that. He says, uh, pray for these things. Pray for the glory of God's name. Pray for his kingdom to come. Pray for his will to be done. Who's first in your prayers? Whose agenda are you praying for? Um, Whose mission are you praying for? Whose kingdom are you praying for when you pray? Is God's glory the first thing you pray for? Number one on your heart. The number one concern on you. That God be glorified. That his name be hallowed, made holy, sanctified, set apart. Is that your concern as you pray? Is that the request that your heart keeps coming back to? Thomas Manton, a Puritan, has an excellent series of sermons on the Lord's Prayer. And in one of them, he writes this. The main thing which God intends should be the main thing in our requests is the praise of His glorious grace. Our chief care and affection should mainly run upon the glory of God and that God might be advanced and lifted up on high. This is what Jesus puts these requests first about God's glory and His kingdom. Because this is the first and primary concern. This is the greatest thing we're to be seeking. That God would be glorified. That His name would be set apart as holy. So make that the first thing in your prayers. And, and not just the first thing in your prayers, but make that the, 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 right, the, the thing that undergirds all of them. That everything you're praying for is that He might be glorified. How in particular is God glorified? Through his kingdom. And that's the second thing Jesus gives us to pray for. The second request, your kingdom come. This is God's mission. This is how he's going to glorify his name. It's through bringing his kingdom. Building his kingdom. Of course, this is why Jesus came. He came to begin this kingdom, lay the foundation of the kingdom, start the kingdom. And he's bringing it. And when he returns at his second coming, he's going to consummate it. Right? He's going to bring it to all its full and final, wonderful conclusion. So when we are to pray for his kingdom to come, then we are to pray that what Jesus has started, the work he's already started in his church, in the world, in our hearts, that that work would go on and continue and grow. Right? That the work he started in your heart would continue and grow. Right, that, that the progress of his kingdom in your own heart, in your own life, and in your home would grow. And then we're to pray that it would happen in our church. That, that, that we would become more like Christ, reflect his glory more, reflect his holiness more. That our church would grow, that his church through the world would grow. This is a missionary prayer. Sinclair Ferguson says, the Lord's prayer is a missionary prayer. As a model prayer, it teaches us to put the spread of the gospel before our own needs. Thy kingdom come, comes before. Give us this day our daily bread. 
Is that how you pray? Before you, before you ask the Lord for, for the things that you yourself need, are you asking for His glory to spread and His church to grow? Are you praying for, his, for, for, for missionaries and the, and the work of Christ here and throughout the world? And we also pray and praying for the kingdom to come, that our Lord Jesus would come back. That he would come and finish what he's begun. This work of bringing his kingdom together. We see this, John prays, Revelation 22, verse 20. He says, come, Lord Jesus. Right, this, is, this is part of our prayer. And as we pray for the kingdom to come, that we would, that we would desire and seek and pray for God to, to, to finish what he's begun and to bring the kingdom to its glorious fulfillment. See, all this is exactly what our Lord Jesus himself prayed for. While he was on earth, and it's what he continues to pray for in heaven now as our high priest. In John 17, we read Jesus himself. He prays to his Father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. He, he's, he's seeking God's glory there. It's on the eve of his crucifixion. He's about to be crucified for the sins of his people. And he's praying for the glory of God and for the glory of his Christ and the kingdom of Christ. And and what else is he praying for that night? He's bowing himself to the will of God, saying, your will be done. Submitting himself to God's providence. Seeking that what God desires done would always be done. More and more. This is how the Son prayed. And this is how sons in the Son are also to pray. With a heart for the Father's heart. And his kingdom and his glory and his mission. So pray like this. What does this mean then? That we should just forget our own needs? Does God not care about our own needs and concerns? Well, we've already seen, no, He doesn't. And so, in His wonderful goodness, He gives us a request in the Lord's Prayer, several of them actually, for our own needs. So we turn now, number three, our third heading, pray for your Father's provision. Verses 11 through 15 here. Pray for your Father's provision. The wonderful thing about the Lord's Prayer is that as it unfolds, as the Lord is teaching us to pray, yes, He puts first the glory, the kingdom, and the will of God. But then He, he, he couples that sweetly and, and, and uh, preciously with our needs. God is not pitted his glory against our good and our joy. Right? These things aren't at odds with each other. God's commitment to glorify His name and build His kingdom is not at all against His concern for us and what's best for us. In fact, they're, 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 they're sweetly intertwined. As John Piper has put it, God is glorified in us when we are satisfied in Him. Or as Psalm 79, verse 9 says, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of Your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for Your name's sake. God loves, our Father loves, to meet every need and be glorified as He does so. So Jesus teaches us to ask Him. To ask Him for everything. He gives us three things to ask the Father to provide. As he, uh, at the close of the Lord's Prayer, gives us three things that we should be asking our Father for. First thing is for our daily bread. Catechism says that we are to pray that of God's free gift, 
we may receive a competent portion of the good things of this life and enjoy His blessing with them. We're supposed to bring our physical needs to the Lord. Lay before the Lord the, the things that we, that we need, our, our, the food that we need, the clothes, the shelter, the homes, all the things, the physical needs we have. We're to bring them to the Lord. He wants to hear and He's ready to give. Think of how committed our earthly parents were or are to meeting our physical needs, right? to making sure we have what we need, the clothes, food, etc. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 9, 11, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Our Father is concerned for our every need. And he's ready and willing to meet it. He's concerned with all of it. And hasn't he met them? All right, here we are. Right? And, and we can look back over our lives. Every single meal was from Him. Every single, uh, uh, all the clothes we've worn, from Him. Every house, or every place we've had shelter, from Him. All, all the financial provision we've ever enjoyed, from Him. Now, we don't believe at all that if we, right, if we just pray enough and have enough faith, he'll, he'll make us super rich. But He's committed Himself to provide for His children what they need. And hasn't He done that? So he gives us this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, because we take this for granted. But he wants us to know that every day we ask for what we need for that day, and he's the one who gives it. It's a wonderful little book on prayer that Matthew Henry put together, um, where he takes uh, uh, prayers of Scripture and weaves them together into prayers for us to pray. But he's got a section at the back of that book for prayers before meals. And he has a line there that stuck with me. Uh, it puts this so well, this, this asking the Lord for our daily bread, recognizing it all comes from his hand. He says, he says this, uh, a prayer for us to pray. Enable us to taste covenant love in commonplace mercies. Enable us to taste covenant love in commonplace mercies. Right? Commonplace mercies. Lunch today. His love for His child, that you have that. Right? Every single one of those things. Pray for these things and praise Him for these things. The second thing we are to pray for to our Father to provide for us is forgiveness. Ask Him for your daily bread. Ask Him also for forgiveness. Again, we can take this for granted too as well. right? That Well, of course He forgives us. But Jesus says, no, keep on praying that He forgives you for your debt. Don't forget that, that you, your whole life is, is, is under His grace now. And that you don't deserve any of it. Right? Remember that debt that you have had. Right? Our, our sin is like this huge debt that we've accrued that we cannot pay off. And so we come to the Father it's a debt against Him. It's sin against Him. And so we need to come and ask for His forgiveness. Don't just ask for forgiveness in a general sense. Don't just ask once a week or once a month or once a year. Come to the Lord, to your Father, day after day and pray that He'd forgive you of your debts to Him. Don't let sin pile up unforgiven. 
bring your requests to the Lord. Jesus, um, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful Sinclair Ferguson quote that puts it like this. Jesus teaches us to keep what earlier Christians called short accounts with God. We ask for forgiveness. We specify whatever debts we know we have. We no longer foolishly try to hide them from the Lord. We admit them. We bring them to the surface. We mention them by name in his presence, and we ask to be forgiven. Do that, loved ones. Ask him for forgiveness. But then as Jesus commands us to do this, he adds something else here, which might be harder to swallow. As he goes on, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then, just in case we missed it in the Lord's Prayer, he goes on at the end of the Lord's Prayer to explain and and draw this out in verses 14 to 15. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Does Jesus really mean that? What does he mean? That if I don't forgive others, I won't be forgiven? That's what he says. Now, does he mean that I'm forgiven because I forgive others? That I earn my Father's forgiveness because I've done such a good job forgiving others? Absolutely not. He doesn't mean that. The whole of Scripture testifies to the fact that he doesn't mean that. He forgives before we forgive. But loved ones... Sons reflect their father. Those who have received an abundance of grace and forgiveness are going to forgive others. And Jesus is saying that if, that if, uh, that if you're not living a life of forgiveness for others, then that's a sign that you have not received forgiveness from the Father. And that if you're going to stubbornly insist on not forgiving others, then that's a dangerous place to be. And the Lord is not going to forgive you. Right? We've been brought into the family of God, the kingdom of God. He's our Father. And forgiveness is part of the family DNA. It's it's in our our genes, our spiritual genes. You'll forgive if you've been forgiven. So forgive. And ask the Lord for forgiveness too. The third and final thing Jesus says to ask our Father to provide for us here is protection from evil. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Scripture clearly teaches that God tempts no one. Right? James 1.13 says this, God doesn't tempt. And yet, Scripture also shows us that there are times when God leads people into a place where they will be tempted, not by himself, but by others, by the world, or the flesh, or the devil. Right? We see Jesus himself, probably most famously, Matthew chapter 4, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness in order to be tested and tried and tempted. So there are times when God does lead people into a place where they will be tempted. So what does Jesus mean, then, when he says that we should pray, lead us not into temptation? but deliver us from evil. I think it means this, right? That we're we're praying this, Lord, in your providence, please spare me. If it is your will, please spare me from temptation. But if in your providence you do bring me into a place of testing, trial, and temptation, 
then bring me through it. Or deliver me from evil in the midst of temptation. You're, you're, th- th- this prayer is to get on your knees and to say, Lord, unless you keep me from temptation and sin today, I'm going to fall. I'm not going to make it unless you strengthen me and you keep me and you guard me. Don't let temptation win today. And if that means keeping me from temptation altogether, please do it. If it means bringing me safely through temptation, please do it. Keep me from evil. As we pray this request, it's so encouraging, so wonderful to know that our Lord Jesus himself knew this, right? We just said he was tempted in the wilderness there by Satan, but that wasn't just a one-time thing. I mean, this is his whole life. He was being hounded by Satan and tested and tried and suffering, right? But he stays faithful, and so he knows. Even as he teaches us how to pray this prayer, he knows and he sympathizes with us. But he doesn't just know and sympathize. He gives us the victory he's already won. He's not just sympathetic to us, but he's our Savior, who himself conquered that temptation and conquered Satan and conquered sin, Right, And so, as, as, as we pray, Lord, deliver us from evil, we're praying, Lord, give us what your Son bought for us. Right? Work in me what he already accomplished for me. Right? He, he, he put sin to death. Right? We're fighting an enemy then that's already lost. It's already been destroyed. We're clothed with his armor. We're filled with his Spirit. So Jesus says, pray like this. I've, I've accomplished all this for you. Take it. Pray for this. Uh, hold it your hand and God will give it. And he'll strengthen you to fight and to resist and not to fall. So, loved ones, this is how a son prays. This is how we pray when we know that God is our Father, that he's brought us into his kingdom by his grace and made us not just citizens and subjects, but sons of his love. This is how a son prays. But how can we how can we pray like this? How how can we even how can we even say the words our father to God and be heard? It's only because of Jesus Christ. Right? We we can't we're not worthy to be sons of God. Right? We are rebels against him. Right? Imagine a king who would, who would uh, uh, go to those who are rebelling and fighting against him and who hate him and say, I'm going to adopt you and not just bring you into my kingdom and make you subjects, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adopt you. I'm going to give you an inheritance along with, right, along with uh, my own son and make you just like him and have the same relationship with you that, that he has with me. And that's what the Lord has done with us. Sinners, rebels against him. But he sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins and to clothe us with that righteousness so that we can be brought in and adopted and given a place in his kingdom. And so that we might take to our once sinful lips the very name that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, took. Father, our Father. So loved ones, in Christ, the Son, pray like a son. Go to your Father. And follow, follow this good prayer the Lord Jesus has, has given us. This is a, a glorious privilege to pray these things. This is what He's purchased for us. So go, go ask. Take the prayer and make it yours as a son. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, our gracious and good Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our Savior. We pray that you take these things and work them into our hearts and give us grace by your Spirit to, to, to work them out in obedience in our lives. Teach us how to pray like the Son, in the Son. It's in his name we hope. Amen.